Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Your first coaches were your mom and dad who taught you how to communicate, tie your shoes, or play a simple game of catch. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoy my show, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. To donate, go to paypal.me slash Raphael. That's S-I-F-U-R-A-F-A-E-L. I'm trying to keep this podcast free of advertisements. Anything you can donate is greatly appreciated. Thank you. You're setting your day on an energetic level that is a very high energy. Gratitude is really high when it comes to energy. And the second thing, and this is actually really important, is you build a habit pattern of thinking. The first thing when you wake up, you build a habit pattern of thinking of things that are good. My guest today is Ed Rush. Ed is a decorated Marine Corps FA-18 pilot, business coach, author, and world-class speaker. Ed, thank you so much for joining me on Coaching Call. How are you today? I got to be, I get, I mean, like, this is the, the you're not even making my day, Raphael. You're making my week. I was what? in my office doing push-ups like at five o'clock this morning, pounding coffee, ready for our awesome interview here on, uh, on the coaching call. So yeah, I'm, I'm better than good, man. I'm glad to be here. I'm so happy you are. <laughs> I met you at a mastermind. I've come to your, your events and of course I'll be at many more, but you inspire so many people. And you don't only inspire, you give them the space to be able to grow, if you will. What intrigues me about you is not only what you're doing now, but what you've done with your entire life and (laughs) what you're looking to do in the future, because I got a glimpse of it and it's pretty cool. Yeah. So if you don't mind, I'd love to get a, a quick thought of not only thought, but your idea of what it was like for you growing up when you were a child, who influenced you and what made you make the decisions you do, you have done to become who you are. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. So I will go backwards. I'm going to jump back into flight school and then go all the way backwards. Cause you mentioned a te- perfect teaching method methodology. So you just, we, we met, like you said, at one of the uh, amazing martial arts masterminds that you're a part of. And then you came to one of my live events and at my event, you experienced the experience. I'll put it that way. And so when I was flying, when I was learning to fly uh, back in 1995, when I was a brand new flight student in the United States Marine Corps, which as you know, we trained with the Navy for the first few few years. So I was learning to fly an airplane called the T-34. I actually have a picture of it over here on my wall. Let me, let me just put it this way. I thought I was going to be a pretty good pilot and I ended up being right about that, but not in the beginning. Mm. Uh, there is a method that the Navy uses to teach, and is it is a three 
step method. And as a martial artist, you'll be very familiar with this message method. And the method goes teach, demonstrate, do. So for example, let's say you're learning how to land. Uh, what the instructor will do was he or she will stand with a whiteboard uh, and they'll draw out the entire landing pattern. And they'll show you at this point, you're going to make this radio call. You're going to put your flaps to quarter. You're going to slow down to 150 knots. At this point, you're going to slow down to 125 knots, put your flaps to half, make this radio call at this point. And they'll walk through the entire thing. And then, and then they'll look at you and, and they'll say, so do you got it? <laughs> and you will lie for the first time of your day. And it's not the last time you're going to lie, but the, you'll look at your instructor and say, I got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which is a total lie. You don't have anything. Then what happens is you get into the airplane and the instructor will get into the front seat and I will, uh, the student will get in the back seat and you'll take off and the instructor will then fly around the landing pattern, teaching you all the things or demonstrating all the things that he or she just taught you. And then after the second or third landing, it'll be your turn to switch. And the instructor will say, okay, you got it. Hmm. And you will lie now for the second time and say, yeah, I got it. And then you get into the front seat. Now for me, my first landing uh, I almost killed myself and my instructor mm. in the same moment. So uh, in an airplane, you steer with your feet, which is actually a, a really strange thing to get used to because we're used to steering with our hands, right? right? So I have this control stick and I land on the ground. As soon as I land, the airplane veers off to the right and it starts riding down the runway towards this big sign on the right side of the runway. And my instructor very calmly in the back seat, says, steer with your feet, steer with your feet. Steer with your feet, steer with your feet, steer with your feet. I got it. And he takes the controls and turns the airplane left and into the air to just barely miss this sign. Now, uh, the truth was the, he taught me everything I needed to know and he showed me everything I need, right. needed to know, but I didn't get it until I did it. Uh, and when it comes to teaching, especially at my live events, as you experience, there's one thing about learning something and then there's another thing altogether about doing something. And what I love doing at my live events is teaching and demonstrating, but then doing, because really it's in the doing that the, oh, yeah. that the light bulb really turns on. And let me tell you, the questions get a lot better after the doing too. So, right. uh, so yeah, thank you for your great comments about the event, you know, going backwards. Um, there's a couple things in my history that are, that are kind of fun. First of all, I was born into a championship uh, run. My mom was one of the most, well-known and influential women's basketball coaches of all time. Mm. Uh, She won three national championships. And the first one was in 1972 when she was pregnant with me. Okay. Uh, The (laughs) next year, uh, literally like, like six months after I was born, she won her second national championship. So winning was always a part of like my surroundings and my DNA. My dad was actually a referee in the national basketball association. So I was around professional athletes my whole life. And then I went and failed kindergarten. Uh, and learned really quickly that, uh, you know, um, the traditional schooling method wasn't great uh, for me initially, at least, you know, where somebody's standing up there teaching. And the crazy thing, Raphael, is like my my kids have now all graduated from kindergarten, except for my three year old. And um, this is not complicated subject matter. You know, we're talking about blocks and colors and stories. I mean, how do you fail blocks and colors and stories? Uh, but, you know, I eventually graduated from kindergarten, made my way into the Marine Corps after having graduated from college uh, and had a very successful career, but really based on the principle that I learned in kindergarten, which is I found some successful people, some people that I thought were doing well. And I started to attach myself to them and actually just started doing what they did. 
uh, and I avoided the things that they didn't do. And then I started finding people who were unsuccessful and I avoided the things that they did. And I started doing the things that they, that they didn't do. And that principle has, has led me to this day. I mean, I, I have to tell you, you know, we have a, we have a principle in uh, the world, especially in the United States, where you've been taught that the majority is always right. Mm. I can tell you that that rule is a lie. It comes from the pit of hell and smells like smoke. The majority is not always right. In fact, the majority is almost always wrong. Mm. I mean, look at it. Most people uh, have bad relationships. Most people are out of shape. Most people have poor finances. Uh, Most people don't think well. Uh, Most people don't even drive well. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons why the majority is, is always, uh, is always wrong. And so I've always wanted to attach myself to people that I call four minute milers, people like you, Mm. people who are out there on the cutting edge, trying to drive it, trying to really improve themselves, trying to make the world a better place. And let me just tell you, they are at the top 1%, 0.1%. man, you start spending time with those folks, your world will change for the better really quickly. So, yeah. Oh, it does. Absolutely. So, you know, you could have chosen anything after college. Why the Marines? Yeah, it's a good question. So I used to have like this really um, patriotic, uh, pre-planned way of telling the story, but that that story wasn't actually very true. Hmm. What was true was I joined the Marine Corps on a whim. Uh, this is the real story. And I'm going to tell you, I haven't even told the story publicly, but I'm going to tell you this just because your show is awesome. Thank you. Um, so, uh, so, okay. So I was on my way to becoming a coach. My whole family were coaches. So I was going to leave uh, college and be a baseball coach. Cause I was a division one baseball player. One night I was talking to a friend of mine and I said, what are you doing tomorrow? And he said, Oh, I'm actually meeting with a Marine recruiter. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go into the Marines. I didn't, I didn't even know. I, at the time, honestly, I didn't even know what the Marines were. So, so I said, well, I'll meet you at lunch. And he, and he was meeting with the Marine recruiter. So I came a little early and, and my friend Murph was standing there, six foot four football player. He was standing there next to a guy who had the, the weirdest, goofiest looking outfit I've ever seen in my life. Hmm. He had a khaki shirt that had these perfect creases down the middle of it. And then he had these blue pants with this red stripe down the side and it didn't match. None of the colors matched. And then off of his shirt, you know, he had these medals and ribbons all dangling, which I thought were were kind of strange too. And on his collar, he had some insignia and I, you know, eventually learned what all those things were. But at the time I just thought it looked ridiculous. Uh, And I was standing there while my friend Murph was talking to this captain, whose name was Captain Florian. And he looked at me and he said, what are you going to do after college? And I said, well, I'm going to go, I'm a baseball player. I'm going to go coach baseball. And he said, have you ever thought about flying jets? And in, and in the moment he asked that question, I said, yeah, I have actually thought about flying jets. When I was 11, my grandfather took me flying in his Cessna double eagle. Mm. And he let me take the controls and take the plane off of the ground. And in that moment, I was hooked on flying. And when Captain Florian said, have you ever thought about flying jets? I was like, hell yeah, I thought about flying jets. And he said, well, what if I could guarantee you that you're going to go to flight school? I can't guarantee you're going to get jets. But I have a program where if you pass a certain test, I can flat out guarantee after you go to infantry school in the Marine Corps, you're going to go fly uh, jets. And, um, and I said, okay, I'm interested. Two weeks later, I was sitting in that dude's office taking that test. Uh, several months later, I was at boot camp. <laughs> wow. I mean, it, it literally happened that quickly. And nobody in my family had any idea. Nobody in the, my family had been in the military except for my grandfather way back in World War II and, and my great uncle back in World War II. 
Uh, and the story was my great uncle George was a Navy pilot who flew in North Africa, took off one day and was never seen again. They assumed that he crashed in the desert someplace and no one has uh, found his remains or anything. So now that's my grandmother's brother. And I'm sitting at Thanksgiving in 1994, right before I'm about to get commissioned to the Marine Corps and go into infantry school and go to flight school and go to combat. And I'm sitting there at my, at my Thanksgiving dinner table with my entire family. My grandmother is sitting at the head of the table and she looks across the table at me and she said, quote, what the hell were you thinking? (laughs) (laughs) Now, that's not how my grandma talks, man. She is she is a grandmother in every sense of the word. Right. Uh, And so she's like, what the hell were you thinking? She was so upset that I was going to the Marines. So so fast forward six months, I'm getting commissioned in the Marine Corps. That same captain is up there. The gunnery sergeant standing right next to him. And I get commissioned and my mom and my grandmother are in the front row crying. Mm. And the gunnery sergeant goes, gotta love, I just gotta love those tears of joy. I said, look, those are not tears of joy. They think I'm about to die. So, um, (laughs) so the last part of the story I'll tell you is when I landed the first time I went to combat in Iraq, I landed, I flew back commercial and I landed in LA. This is back before you could make calls until you were, you know, like you had to be in the States to make calls. I opened my phone. I called my mom. Uh, and I said, Hey mom, just want to let you know that I'm home. And she goes, Oh my gosh. Oh, thank God. And then I called my wife. I called my wife second. I said, I just want you to know I'm home. She's like, all right, cool. It's good to hear, you know? So there's the whole, there's the whole story. <laughs> yeah. that That's really cool. You know, it, it's uh, it's very interesting. I actually got to fly two different things myself, an F-16 simulator. That's cool. From the Navy. Yeah. And it was a friend of mine. She was a captain and she actually, she designed the cock, the, the helmet where the lasers made yeah. the, the, you know, she's the one that designed that. So yeah. wherever your eyes look, the guns move, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah. And, you know, she let me fly that for an hour, which is like kind of unheard for a civilian to do. Oh, that's cool. That's it cool. Was really, uh, trust me, I crashed every time. <laughs> but then also for my 30th birthday, one of my students got me, blindfolded me, took me to an airstrip. And gave me an hour and a half helicopter ride that wow, I, that's cool. I was taught to drive. And I actually was given controls. And you're oh, right, cool. it was the scariest thing, but so cool. Did, so did, did they eventually take the blindfold off? Once I got in the airplane. Yeah, once you got the, okay, just making sure that you got to. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. forget about it, right? Yeah. But you know what? Even hovering was the hardest oh, that's hard. thing ever. Yeah, that's hard. And you're right. It was all with the feet. It was all with the feet. That, that's yeah, the helicopter. So I flew. I've got about three, four hours in the Huey, uh, which is a you know pretty famous air, uh, mm-hmm. uh, helicopter. It's been around forever. It was right. in Vietnam, um, and now when that, we're still flying Hueys, four bladed Hueys now. But um, the search and rescue team on board one of the bases I was at used to just let guys come fly. I said, "Hey, can I come over and fly with you?" So I went and flew a few times, and they would let you fly, and they mm-hmm. would let, teach you how to fly. And I have to tell you, at that point, I was a pretty advanced uh, jet pilot, and flying the Huey was a big challenge. Now, I could fly it straight, like when it was flying, I could fly it that way. But the moment you hover, it was like this. I would start hovering, and for about a second and a half, I'm like, oh, this isn't actually that. And then all of a sudden, the plane would start doing that, and the guy would grab the controls again. So, yeah, uh, yeah that, that, that's a very unnatural thing for a human being to do, is to hover. Yeah, so, it was pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah yeah it was pretty crazy but fun man god that was a lot of fun yeah that's cool that's very very cool you you did a stint and not only did you 
you know, you go to Iraq, you did all these things, but you also decided to impart that knowledge to other people. Why? And, and, and what was the choice? Was it your choice where you put into it? You know, like some people are sometimes that they're, they're, they're thrust into leadership position, or was that something that you were going for? Yeah, I always like to teach. So I, I mean, even from the very early stages of flight school, like when I was in flight school, I was still pulling together my friends and teaching them some things that I knew and I learned. Now, I didn't know this until later on. I was told years later, years later, I was told there's this, this line that you've probably heard, which is the teacher learns more than the student, mm. you know? Um, I, I didn't know that principle. I just know, knew that I loved teaching. Uh, and there was something about teaching for me that solidified everything that I had learned. Like it was one thing to learn it. It was even one thing to do it. But then once you learned and did it and you started communicating it to somebody, I always, I was always able to kind of put things into a way that when people heard it, they were like, oh, that makes sense to me for the first time. Uh, and when I said it, oftentimes I would be in the middle of teaching it. And all of a sudden the light bulb would go off for me as I was teaching it. So for example, you just came to one of my events called God Talks. It's a business event, but it's, it's got a spiritual component to it. And uh, the truth is, and I did mention this at the event, so it's not like this was secret information, right, right, right. but I'm in the middle of writing this book um, of the same name. And I realized the best thing for me to do would be to stand up on stage and teach the content that I was working through in the book, because there are some things in the book that I delivered on stage that I did differently. Mm from the stage that I said, Oh, you know what? I should probably add this story into the book. And there were also some things from the book that I thought were great. In fact, I thought were hysterical that when I delivered them live, yeah, maybe, you know, it didn't go over as well as like I thought it would be. So just having that live audience and that live feedback is really important. So yeah, I've always been teaching and, you know, I, I know you're in the martial arts community. I certainly have taught a lot in the martial arts community, not as a martial artist, but as a marketing teacher or a business instructor. And, um, and one of the things that, you know, you, you know, this as well as I do, like, as soon as a kid gets a couple belts, you, you oftentimes will put him into a teaching role, not because he's a great teacher, not because she's a great teacher, but because that teaching Mm. will give them an opportunity to really accelerate their learning was one of the things that I was actually really surprised about when I started learning Brazilian jiu-jitsu was, you know, I wasn't being taught by black. There was sometimes there were black belts out there, but a lot of times you're, you're getting taught by a brown belt or a purple belt or somebody who's working their way up. And that teaching is really one of the things that begins to solidify their ability to execute those moves and drill those moves really, really well. So I've always loved teaching. I've always loved explaining things. And I, I, I find the more that I do it, the more the principles really begin to solidify in my mind. And so I always encourage people, especially business owners, if you're learning principles, First, put them into action. It doesn't make sense to teach them unless you've done them, but put them into action and then find a place where you can share that knowledge. Oftentimes that's in a mastermind group. Sometimes that's in just little business networking groups. There there are groups. I mean, like I live in San Diego. I could probably walk on top of business networking groups from here to Los Angeles. There's so many (laughs) and there are in your town too. Like I know you live in New York. There's thousands of them. My point though is there's a lot of people getting together. And if you just showed up and said, Hey, here's my referrals. This is what I'm working on with referrals. You teaching that sometimes will start, you'll start to see some holes in it. You'll also be like, Oh, that's why that works so well. That begins to make sense. So yeah, I love, I love teaching. I always tell people I teach speakers a lot too. Uh, so I train people to speak well uh, on stage. And I always tell people like, 
uh, because sometimes people get nervous about teaching. I say, first of all, mm-hmm. uh, the only reason you're getting nervous is because you're thinking about yourself <laughs> and not your audience. Right. Uh, people are always like, what if I say something wrong? Or like, what if I, you know, like get slapped on stage? Uh, and, and like, you're like, don't worry about it. None, none of that will happen. Um, but, but what will happen when you do that is you'll become more comfortable with your teaching and you'll earn a new skill, like I said, which is, which is the ability to communicate effectively, which is also a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. And if you do get slapped on stage, what do you do afterwards, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so just for, we're recording this like two days after the yes, Oscars in 2022, just so you know, if you're, if you're listening to this like three years later. So I always tell my speakers, I said, look, when you get ready to speak, if you feel even a twinge of nervousness, what I want you to do is I want you to think about your audience. And I want you to think, what did they wake up thinking about this morning? What are their, what do they really want? What are their dreams in life? Like, what do they really want to accomplish? What are they afraid of? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what's making them nervous at night? Like, are they afraid of losing money? Are they afraid of, of running out of money? Are they afraid of their health challenges? Are they afraid of getting sick? Are they afraid of their kids getting hurt? What are they afraid of? And start asking those things. And then as you ask those things, pretend you're them, put yourself into a situation of empathy where you start to feel what they feel and, uh, and experience what they experience. And if you're listening to this, not watching it, you see, I'm actually touching my chest. This is where I feel when I'm like feeling, uh, I feel, Oh man, I can feel that. And then I think about people that I've worked with. Like there's, there's, there's people that I've had in my coaching program who have had extraordinary success and have been to a lot of my events and Lisa and Barry and Carolyn. And I'm actually picturing these people when I'm backstage mm-hmm. and I actually start to become moved emotionally. And then I look up and I'm like, oh, you know, all the nervousness went away. Because why am I nervous if I'm thinking about someone else? Right. No, one, no one ever gets ner- uh, nervous or, or afraid about serving, right? So as I'm thinking about someone else, all that apprehension goes away. And then I always tell speaker, speakers, whatever happens up on stage is okay because it's not about you anyway. Mm-hmm. So I have walked on stage with my zipper down twice. Mm-hmm. I have tripped twice, uh, three times now uh, on stage. And I've had a hundred audiovisual uh, problems. Mm-hmm. I've had- Oh, it happens, yeah. I've had jokes that, that bombed, okay? By the way, this, I'm not, I'm not even kidding you. 10 years ago, I had a joke I, that I told uh, that I thought was hysterical and it totally bombed. And I looked at the audience and they looked at me and they were looking at me like I had just grown an asparagus out of my forehead. (laughs) And I kid you not, I turned around and I grabbed a piece of paper and I went, all right, make sure to take that joke out of the present. I I said, take that joke out of the presentation next time. And the moment I did that, the audience started laughing and I thought, oh, here's the key, right? If you make a mistake or if something goes wrong, right after that, immediately joke a self-deprecating joke, making fun of yourself. Right. And it cuts right through the tension. They'll join with you in making fun of you. And now you're one big team making fun of you, you know? Right. So anyway, <laughs> I always tell speakers, if, if something goes wrong, it, that could be the best thing that happened to you in the talk, because now it's an opportunity for you to join forces with the audience and like making fun of you a little bit, which is kind of fun. Yeah, I, I, get, I get that. And obviously a lot of comedians do that as well, right? They make more, the more fun they make of themselves, the, the more laughs they get. Yeah. Yeah. And look at Jim yeah. Carrey, right? He, anybody who, who is a physical comedy always gets the biggest laughs. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And a lot of what comedy is now. So, you know, back in the 60s, 70s, even into the 80s with Rodney Dangerfield uh, oh, yeah. and like, you know, Henny Youngman, those days, they, people used to just deliver like one liners, one liners, one liners. Well, you take Rodney. Rodney Dangerfield really was the one who started 
this this incredible, incredibly funny, self-deprecating humor. And then what happened was with uh, like Eddie Murphy and Chris Rock and some of those folks, stories really became the central hub of comedy. And so a lot of what comedy is now is simply comedians telling funny stories, somewhat self-deprecating stories about themselves or their lives. And yeah, so as a communicator, if you can tell stories, like you've already heard me do it, like the story about me failing kindergarten, the story about me, not my first landing, not working well. Those are oftentimes connection stories because a lot of times people are like, Hey man, like, how am I going to learn from a fighter pilot? How am I going to learn from a black belt? Like you guys are, you know, but, but what they don't know about us is like, we're regular people, you know, we are. Uh, have struggles and difficulties and frustrations and doubts and concerns and fears and all the same things that everybody else has. Uh, but, um, but I have a story to tell out of it. And so a lot of times it's a story uh, and it doesn't need to be amazing. The best stories, I think the best stories are called mess to success. They're the stories where you tell how it was tough and how you overcame it using some kind of principle that you're teaching in front of them. So that's fun stuff. Yeah. And a lot of Hollywood has done that very well, by the way. Yeah. 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 Thinking about the stories that we can deliver, a lot of it is whether it's we're an eyewitness to it or it's happened to us. And that's how we can make it more real for people. Right. And so thinking of your story, you have had a career where you made it your mission, if you will, to help others. Whether you knew it or not, all your teachings have led you to that. Everything that you are doing even now is also based on what I call habits, right? Your habits, the way you structure your life, delivers who you are to the audience, to yeah. To your clients. Yeah. And to me, even even your habit of how to fly a plane, right? How to land, it becomes habitual. So everything we do in our lives, if it's a good habit, we have to make it better. If it's a bad habit, we got to get rid of it. Yeah. How do you help people understand that it is their habits that are going to deliver who they are? Yeah, that's good. Really good. So, you know, the first thing is um, embedded in your question. You said, you know, you've been helping people and serving people. Zig Ziglar, who I, uh, you know, as, as you know, has passed away, but uh, who I heard speak early on in my mm-hmm. business career. Uh, Zig said, you know, you can get anything you want as long as you help other people get what they want. Uh, and I didn't understand at the time how profound that was. But looking back, I can see the deep wisdom in something like that. A lot of times, we start out in business as business owners thinking about the things that we want, which is okay. But remember, fundamentally, business is delivering the thing that the person is wanting, not the thing they need, by the way, mm-hmm. the thing that they want. So for example, let's do this on the martial arts side. I've always, I always have fun speaking with martial arts business owners and uh, we'll be doing that this week. So, so Rafael and I are actually going to be in Disneyland this week uh, at a two day mastermind. And You know, so for example, when you're communicating uh, to a parent, uh, you know, what, what might be on the surface is they want their kid to learn martial arts. So that's kind of what they want, but that's not really what they want. They didn't wake up in the morning and think, I want my kid to learn martial arts. They probably woke up and said, man, I wish my kid would have more purpose. I wish they would become a better leader. I wish they would play games less and be more passionate. I wish they would be in 
better shape. I wish they would move more. I wish they would have an opportunity to connect with other kids who are, uh, who are tenacious and go-getters. And I wish that they would have better friends. And, and then, and so that's like second layer, what people want, but then there's maybe a third layer, which is the parents saying to themselves, maybe I'm a bad parent. Maybe Mm. my kid isn't going to grow up socially adjusted because I've made some mistakes. So now they're coming to you. Right. Right. And so you say, well, I'm going to give, Remember, business is nothing more than giving people what they want. So yeah, you're going to teach kid martial arts, but embedded in that conversation, you could always look at the parent and just be like, look, you know, one of the great things about the kids that come to our school is they learn leadership. They play less games. They're more connected. And you know, the parents just feel so much better because they know their son or daughter is heading in the right direction. If you said that to them, you're speaking directly to the thing that they want, which is very powerful um, very, very powerful persuasion. So yeah, on to habits. Uh, uh, fundamentally, the way that I look at life is through a very simple lens. If you go to the top, it just basically says, you know, everyone has been given a mission. God gave you something amazing to do on planet Earth, and there's no plan B. The reason I know there's no plan B is because in the first statement I made, it assumes that everyone has a mission that God's given them on planet Earth. So if everyone has a mission, there's nobody backing up you because everyone has their own, right? So God gave you something unique to do. Uh, And that could be starting a business. It could be writing a book or sharing a message, or it could be, you know, being a great parent or starting a blog or being a person that's, that's influential on Instagram or something like whatever it is for you, that's you. Well, then you have a set of results in your life. So God gave you a mission and then you have a set of results. So everyone, when you think about results, often people think of you know, the money in your bank account, your fitness level, the, the uh, following that you have on social media, how your relationships are, how your kids are growing up. And if you look at your mission and your results and you see a delta there, in other words, if you look at the results in your life and you don't see what you want quite yet, there's a reason for that. And if you go deeper, the reason for that is the way you think. There is a direct correlation to the kind of thinking that you do, to the kind of actions that you take. And thinking leads to actions which lead to results, which are the things that we uh, just mentioned right there. So if you're a person that grew up thinking, you know, money doesn't grow on trees or money's the root of all evil, which is, uh, by the way, people quote that sometimes like it's a Bible verse. It's not. Uh, Money is the root of all evil is not in there. Uh, There actually is a verse that says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, which is quite different from the one uh, that I just described. But if you believe those things, you're going to have a hard time holding on to money, right? If you believe, for example, uh, I'm about to turn 50 next year. Uh, and it's common for people around my age to start to think, well, I'm just slowing down. Well, yeah, if you believe I'm just slowing down, then yeah, you're going to start to slow down. Uh, just a week ago, right here on my squat rack, I, I, I beat my personal record squat of 315 by 20 pounds. I actually squatted 335 one time, uh, which is a lot of weight, uh, especially for a dude who's 49. And that's more than I've ever done in my entire life, more than I could do when I was 18 years old. Okay. Wow. Good. And, and, and a, and a college athlete, right? So, so yeah, if you believe, yeah, things are slowing down, things are going to slow down. Hmm. If you believe I'm getting stronger every day, man, I'm getting stronger every day. You're going to get stronger every day. Right. And so the, so back to the question about habits, um, habits in a sense, start with the way that you think it starts with the words that you start to say to yourself. Okay. So I'm not like a hardcore got to wake up at five o'clock in the morning. You know, I'm not one of those people. I will wake up kind of when I wake up a lot of times that's like this morning was around six 30. Sometimes it's like eight, eight 15. Like I did a speaking event this week 
And uh, on Sunday morning, my flight was until midday. I, I like closed the blinds in that hotel room, but on the sound machine. And I just went to sleep and I woke up about 839. So I'm not one of those like, gotta wake up at four o'clock in the morning. Right, 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 right. Um, habit people. But I can tell you when I get up, there's some purpose even in the beginning, like what I read, uh, the little meditation that I do in the morning, the prayer that I will do in the morning. Usually every morning, Monday through Friday, there's some sort of movement in the morning. Usually that's some sort of weight-based movement, sometimes a little run or some kettlebells or a hill run or box jumps or something like that. Yeah, but those those habitual patterns all start with the way you think. So if you think, oh, I'm slowing down every day. It's just, you know, I'm just getting older. This is what happens. You can have the best fitness routine in the world, but your mind will continue to thwart you. And you will find literally like, you'll start getting hurt and you're wondering why am I, why am I, well, you're getting hurt because you're agreeing to something that's creating a trajectory and the result that you're having in your life. So fundamentally, as you know, Raphael, that the book that I'm writing uh, that will be probably be out by the time uh, you list, y'all listen to the, you're listening to this uh, show is about recoding the way that you think to create a new future or to create a new result in your life. So yeah, fun stuff, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you you just said it, recoding, right? So think about it. Our phones that we carry around all day long, they have uploads. They have what? Updates. Yeah. So yeah. we should we should do the same for ourselves. So for me, what I tell my clients is, you know, you can't live the way you lived yesterday. You yeah. have to live for today. Today's not yesterday. And you have to also live for tomorrow. You can think about yesterday, but yesterday's gone. What what did you do yesterday to make your t- today better? And what can you do today to make tomorrow better? So yeah, updates. We have to update ourselves. We can't just update our computers, our phones, our tablets, all these things. So I agree with you 100% that every day is a chance for us to update ourselves. And you talked earlier about you know, when you put somebody in a teaching position, I do that with sometimes even somebody who's been in their second class, because if yeah. I can see that they understood how to throw a punch, I'm going to highlight them and I'm going to bring them to the front desk. I go, I want everybody to punch like Tommy. And, I, and then Tommy's all of a sudden, he's inspired. He's like, oh no, I better do a good job. And all of a yeah, sudden, yeah, yeah. what winds up happening is their level of confidence just skyrockets. All of a sudden, the parents who are looking down at their phone are actually videotaping this. And so it inspires the parents. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, it inspires the parents to continue to bring them. But one of the things in the past, I used to let parents just, you know, I used to sign them up and the parents would like drop the kids off and leave. Not anymore. Because if parents don't see what transformation their child is going through, they won't keep them with me. Interesting. So for me, for the first three belt levels, if you bring your child, you have to be in the same room with your child. You, t- you tell them that in, oh, the, yeah. in, in, in the, yeah. If they're, not, if they're like, oh, well, I can't. I'm like, okay, thank you. There's another so, school down the block. So, so when you tell the parent why, what do you tell them? What's your reason? I said, there's a couple of reasons. One is I want you to know what they're doing. Yeah. And I'm going to have you do some of the moves as well so that you can help them when they have to do practice sheets. They get practice sheets. They have to do 15 minutes every day. Okay. In order for them to get a stripe, they get eight stripes on their belt. In order to get a stripe, right. they have to hand this in every week. That hmm. means I know that they're working at home. You've set up a place for them to work at home. And so now I'm teaching the parents that, hey, 
Yes, it's not a drop-off. And the reason it's not a drop-off is because we're a team. You brought your child for whatever reasons, and I'm going to help you establish those reasons, whether it's confidence, discipline, self-esteem, bullying, all these things. I said, but That's good. I can't good. help you, and I can't help your child if your child turns around and all the other kids' parents are there helping them, and you're absent. So you're a team. I like that. I like that. You you're a team. a team. Or we're, we're a team. We are. I think team. that's pretty cool. I think so that's pretty cool. Th- that, but, but here's the thing. I don't just say it. I actually have the parents. I, I have noodle fights. And I get the parents. To, I said to the kids, okay, go grab two noodles. One for you. One for your mom or dad. Whoever's here. <laughs> and now they noodle fight. And they're having a blast. Uh-huh. And then afterwards, the, now the parents are going to, they sit down. They're on the phone. Okay, go see your parents. Your parents are going to punch at you. You have to do this particular block. Yeah, so that's now great. the parents great. are involved and the parents, the other day I had three dads. They were all to get near each other. And I said to the kids, go see your dads. And I, I taught them a complicated move, but I taught the parents how to do it. And I said, and the parents are like, oh my God, now I understand why they look so clumsy when they're doing it. Oh yeah. If yeah. the parents didn't feel it. They would think it was your fault or something. Yeah. But they also would not understand, like, why, and then they're blaming their kids. Why are you not getting it? How come you're not getting it? Now, they stepped into those shoes of, like, oh, wow, I understand. Now I know why you want my child to practice, why this is not just straight up punching and kicking, because I'm also building a relationship with the parent, that the parent, if I take my kid to hockey and I'm going to sit there and the kid's going to skate, or my kid's going to play football or soccer or any other sport, tennis, whatever, unless I'm playing with them, I will never understand what they're going through. And uh, so as a parent, uh, that's a connection that's super tight. And so I'm building families. I'm building the yeah, connection that parents are not going to get anywhere else. And that's I know great. a lot of schools don't do that. They'll have a window and the parents are looking through the window. That was me back in the day. And yeah. I and then I got rid of the window and I just left the wall and the parents on the other side of the wall. So I said, I got to change this. I, I need the parents involved. I can't have the parents involved if they don't get wet. You have to get in the water. So mm. now my seats are in the same room that the kids are at. So the parents are sitting down. I have coffee service for them, the whole deal. But now I'm going to call on the parents to be part of the experience. And guess what? Now I have a community. Yeah, that's cool. People that's cool. I actually haven't heard of I haven't heard of someone doing that. By the way, that probably helps a lot when like the new parent comes in to try oh, it out yeah. for and they're all parents are all sitting there, you know. So yeah. uh, that's cool. That's good. Good for you, man. I cool. appreciate that. But you know, the whole thing is it's it's the process of doing it, learning it, being there. So if I put somebody in a position of authority. And they could be seven years old or they could be 28 years old. Now, all of a sudden, the spotlight is on them and they're like, oh, I got to perform. And and one of the things I always tell them is like, it's okay to make mistakes. I said, I make them every day. Right. I said, why do you think I use a pencil sometimes? Because there's an eraser at the end. I'm going to erase those mistakes. Those those have to happen. So, Ed, I, I really appreciate you and I know how busy you are. And as busy as you are, you make time for your clients. You make time to do all these different presentations across the country. 
you make time to put videos up, you are always engaged with helping someone. And then you decide to go ahead, put on your flight suit. Yeah, there we go. Put out some really, <laughs> really amazing books. So what motivated you to even write the 21 Day Miracle? Yeah. I, so I had no idea I was even going to write that book. So the story, which if you haven't read the book, you'll read when you get into the book, is I took 21 days completely off the grid, uh, literally disappeared, sent my computer or sent my phone to my assistant, uh, left my computer at home and went up into the mountains of, of Colorado, into the Rockies to just breathe and pray and think and fish a lot. I did a lot of fly fishing. Um, and as I was coming back, literally the last day, I was probably an hour and a half away from home. I literally just heard 21 day miracle, how to do anything, how to accomplish anything in three short weeks. And I was like, wow, that's a really good book title. (laughs) So, so I sat down on a Monday and I said, I'm going to write this book, but I'm going to use my process to write this book. So I'm going to write the book in three weeks and I'm going to write and publish the book and be a bestseller in three weeks. That was my goal. Um, and, um, the bad news is we didn't accomplish the goal. The good news is we did it in 20 days, not 21 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, literally it started it's on a year. Monday and by Saturday, three weeks later, three and three weeks and six, two weeks and six days later, it was number one bestseller in its category on Amazon and ended up being the number 22 book over all books on Amazon. Number one business book. Mm-hmm. Um, that book went gangbusters, sold well over 30,000 copies of the book so far. And fundamentally it's a book about how to get things done fast. I have a simple principle, which is uh, when you put a rabbit uh, next to a tortoise, you ever heard the t- story of the tortoise and the hare? If you put a, a tortoise next to a hare, the hare wins every time. You've been told that, you know, slow and steady wins the race, but it doesn't. Not in the real world, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. I watch a lot of Formula One. I watch a lot of IndyCar racing. Slow and steady does not win any races. I've watched thoroughbred racing from the track. Friends of mine who owned horses. Slow and steady does not win races. Slow and steady are the horses that lead the thoroughbred horses out to do their race. Those slow and steady horses are slow and steady for a reason. And the race horses are race horses for a reason. So if you want to make a lot of money, influence a lot of people, have a great life, uh, have a lot of fun, then, then you need to get rid of this slow and steady idea. And what I found is the most successful people in the world, uh, they, they build their lives out of what I call strategic sprints. These are small sprints designed to get you one step closer to a big goal. How I said that is actually very important. Small sprints designed to get you closer to a big goal. Okay. So for example, let's say you want to lose hundred pounds. Well, chances are, you're probably not going to do that in three weeks, but what you can do is create a set of habit patterns so quickly in three weeks that it sets the trajectory for, for you releasing that kind of weight over a certain period of time. Let's say you want to think better. You want to make more money. You want to create a new business. You want to write a book. You want to um, start a new show. Well, you could do all that inside the window of 21 days. And the cool thing about 21 days is it's short enough that you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but it's, it's, it's long enough to reinforce some habit patterns. Mm-hmm. And so uh, maybe you want to eat differently. Maybe you want to move differently. Maybe you just said like, hey, uh, and you mentioned, you know, like every day I, w- I work out in the morning uh, for about half an hour to an hour, depending on the session I'm doing right here in my office. And that's a, just a really great way to start my day. Bedros Koulian, I heard once say, 
you know, fitness in the morning is like a, a gateway drug. And he's right because it kind of sets the tone for the rest of your day. You get some blood moving. You kind of feel a little bit better. And so I started doing that. So you might, you might say to yourself, all right, fine. I'm going to work out in the morning just like Ed does every single morning, five days a week. Well, guess what? You're going to wake up on the Monday. You're going to feel great. You're going to wake up on Tuesday. You're going to feel great. By Wednesday, you're going to be like, gosh, this is early, man. I don't want to do this every by Thursday. Ah, and that's when most people get rid of their, their goal, right? But if you committed to doing a 21-day miracle, you're going to do it for 21 days. And by about the 14th or 15th day, you're going to go, hey, man, this feels really good. I kind of like this. And you're going to get into a groove because the habit pattern is beginning to solidify uh, in your cerebral cortex. Your mind is just beginning to recode a new thought and habit pattern. Have you ever wondered? Well, I don't run, by the way. Like, I don't run a lot. Every once in a while, I'll run. But like, I know people who run all the time, like ultra marathons and stuff. They run all the time. My neighbors, they run all the time. You talk to people who run, they'll say your body begins to crave the running. And if they don't do it, their body's like, what's up? Come on, let's. That's just developing a habit pattern, right? So uh, even though that's not something I do, I can see why the body has developed that, that habit pattern. Well, guess what? You have habit patterns for all kinds of things. Like, for example, if you're married, uh, uh, you and your spouse, every, you know this as well as I do. Every time you get into an argument about something, you say something, she says something. You say something, she says something. You say something. It's like, it's like you're pressing play on a recording. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's a habit pattern. You're away too much. You don't appreciate me. And like, you know, you're working too much. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to support our family. All the while, it's like the same thing, right? It's like you just press play on the table. That's a habit. Mm-hmm. That's a habit, right? Right, right? So when would now be a really great time to get out of those habits? And what I found was a short period of focus around all those areas. So the book itself has 10 areas that I teach you, a money mindset, business, addiction, uh, relationships, happiness, uh, fitness, all those important areas of your life. That's what the book shows you how to create these 21 day miracles and how to accomplish uh, a really, uh, really uh, a lot in a short period of time. By the way, the website, uh, I know you're going to ask, so I'm just going to tell tell you. So the website, you can get a copy of the book uh, is edrushbook.com, which is like the easiest website to remember. Sorry, second easiest website. The easiest website to remember is edrush.com. That's my home base. But Ed Rush Book, when you go there, not only will you get the best deal on the book, which is like, it's like a dollar or something. It's very inexpensive if you buy it on Kindle. But I also built a membership site, uh, just, you know, not just, but for your subscribers, uh, Raphael. So when you go there, you get my full training, online training, totally free. Okay. And I usually charge money for that stuff, but you get that totally for free. That's at edrushbook.com. By the way, that's amazing. If you listen to the show, you are welcome to email me too. Uh, I always, I, I just started doing this in the last like eight months, but I've been doing this on these podcasts where I just give away my email address. Like I never used to do that. It was very private for me. Uh, but then I thought, you know what? I really like hearing from people. So if something, uh, if something uh, was influential or it moved you in some way from the show, my direct email is coaching, C O A C H I N G at edrush.com. It's the same email. Raphael will tell you that's the one he and I were communicating on just this morning. Um, So that comes to me, not to an assistant. And when you email me, I'm going to send back uh, a little gift and it's totally free. Okay. I'm not kidding you. I'm going to give you access to something that most people pay $500 to get to. And I'm going to send it to you for free just for emailing me. So how about that? Wow. Incredible. Like (laughs) I said, always helping people. So before we go, and I I know you, you have a tight schedule, what's the one thing that you would say as an instructor, as a giver, as someone who inspires other people, what's the one thing that everybody should think of doing 
every day. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh my gosh. Every day. I know there's a million things, but let's go for one every day. Okay. Very simple. I'll just give you my, I'll just give you my routine. Very simple. This, this will change your life by the way. And it will take you about 10 seconds every day. So uh, in the morning, when I'm waking up, and I mean that, like while I'm waking up, you know, that kind of like you're starting to wake up, maybe you're not totally asleep, but you're not totally awake, and you're just kind of opening your eyes and adjusting to the new day. And I do this before I even go, get out of bed. I started a habit pattern where I, I, become, I say thank you for three things every morning, okay? So I wake up, and literally before I get out of bed, I just say, thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for my body. Thank you for my family. Thank you for yesterday's meeting. Thank you for today's session. Thank you for the energy that you've given me. Thank you that the sun came up. Thank you for my car. Uh, Thank you for this amazing home. Uh, Thank you for my awesome three-year-old. Thank you for my wife, who I love so much. Thank you for that great dinner last night. Thank you for the dinner I'm having tonight. I just say thank you for three things, okay? And it happens like this. It happens so quickly. But what happens is you're setting your day on an energetic level that is a very high energy. Gratitude is really high when it comes to energy. And the second thing, and this is actually really important, is you build a habit pattern of thinking the first thing when you wake up, you build a habit pattern of thinking of things that are good, right? Mm. That you're thankful for. Now, I knew this was working. Uh, when the last dream I had before I woke up in the morning, in the dream, I was talking to God and I was saying, thank you for this day and thank you for my car and thank you for my great home. <laughs> I was doing uh, my th- morning thank you thing in my dream. That's incredible. If I said, man, that's when you know Your subconscious mind is set on gratitude, right? So super simple. Anyone can do this. There's no excuse. Like I tell people, look, you know, you should try to read a book every month or every book. I I usually, by the way, read like two or three books a week, but try to read a book every month or like every week. I'll be like, well, you know, I don't have time for that. I'm like, all right, fine. Work out a little bit. No, I don't have time for that. I'm like, okay, fine. Start saying positive things to yourself. You know, well, you know, I don't know how to do it. Anyone can do three things to be thankful for. I don't care how bad it is. All right. There's always three things you can find. I don't care where you live, what awful circumstances. You can always find three things. And there's like, it takes like five, 10 seconds in the morning. So don't tell me I don't have time. Don't tell me. Just do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. And when you do it, email me and you'll see some amazing results. I'm telling you, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, so there, good question. Gratitude <laughs> is everything. I do it in the morning and I do it at night. But the first thing I say is I'm thankful I'm alive. I get a chance yeah. to, to live yeah. another day, make a difference again. So I'm yeah, good. That. Yeah. That's good. So That's thank good. you so much for today. I mean, wow, incredible stuff. And I know I have like 5,000 questions for you and we <laughs> might have to do this again at another time. Cool, man. Yeah. I hey, thanks for having me on. It's a real honor. I'll see you like this week. So, yeah, you know, forward to it. we'll get to hang out, maybe have a beer together or something. So you never know. Yeah, it's going to be fun. All right, buddy. All right. Thank thanks, you. Rafael. You got it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back with a new episode and a new guest. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I ask that you please leave me an honest review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. I'm trying to keep this episode free of advertisements. Anything you can donate to the cause is greatly appreciated. To donate, go to paypal.me backslash Sifu Raphael. Thank you and I really appreciate your help.